Hello, everyone. This is Andrew Gaze, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. We're coming to you a little early. It is Thursday, November 18th, 2021. And Mikey... Justice has been served. And do you think Jeff Goodman put a tweet out saying, oh, just hand the Pirates the national championship yet? What, because early in the season, after Michigan was like, what, 14 minutes into their first game, he was already claiming them a Final Four team? Is that why? Oh, he was claiming them the national champion, Mikey. I don't know if I can keep up with you today, Tommy. I mean, as you can hear in my voice, I'm a little bit under the weather. I, I don't have any COVID-19. I, I got that old common cold and it's kicking my ass. And then I'm going to be all sniffly and nasally. Hopefully that doesn't bring down my attitude. I, I got a problem here, Tommy. Right? I mean, what an early season win this is for this team. But but I got people like you just kind of going back to like, the, I, I got my justice, right? Now justice, I know all- baby. Justice. I've been waiting 32 years for it, Mikey. Come on, stop it. I, now I know all the articles, tweets, message board posts, you name it, went out of their way to say that this was that revenge game from 32 years ago earlier on that fateful Monday night in Seattle. And wouldn't you know it, they got the storybook ending to go along with all the hype and buildup, right? You know, plus there were so many different ways that you could spin it. You know, Bryce getting that non-shooting blocking call to go to the free throw line to hit the pair to take the one-point lead. And maybe a little parallel to Ramil Robinson, right? Or Terrence Williams of Michigan go, getting fouled with pointed seconds to play, needing to hit a pair to send it to OT. But poetically, the basketball gods orchestrated a miss that was three decades too late. It's a ton of fun for the fans. Like I get it. It's a great to win and celebrate with all the Pirate faithful. I mean, this is the type of game where your phone blows up with three phone calls and five text messages all at the same time as the clock reached triple zero. However, regardless of how much fun this was or how well the storylines played out, it was about coming out and making a statement to the college basketball world, announcing that this Seton Hall Pirate Squad is going to be Big East challengers. And in that moment, grabbing a monumental road win that speaks volumes on Selection Sunday, just like the win versus Kentucky in the Garden did previously. You can give me all the hoopla. You can give me all the 32 years nonsense. You can give me the revenge game. But this is a huge win for the Pirates now in the moment, Tom. Mikey, you're missing the bigger picture. You're speaking like someone that didn't live through that game. It could be everything you said 
and still be justice, Mike. The cosmic scales have been balanced a little bit, Michael. Well, they do not. They have not been balanced. How many times did they show the banner hanging from the Michigan rafters as their only national title? That banner should be hanging in the, the rafters at Seton Hall just because we win one game at their place, and it's a great win, and it's a huge upset, and it's going to carry you know tons of street cred throughout the season. It does not balance the scales. You're, Stop it. Your negativity is not going to do it to me this time, Mikey. So today on the podcast, we review the win in Ann Arbor and we preview the Fort Myers Classic by going behind enemy lines with Columbus dispatch reporter Adam Jardy as he gives us an insider's view on the Ohio State Buckeyes. But first... Seton Hall 67, Michigan 65. This was a highly charged atmosphere from the start and both teams came ready to play. The first half had 11 lead changes, four ties, and no lead was bigger than five as Michigan took a slim 31-28 advantage to the half. To start the second half, the Wolverines drew first blood and went on a 14-6 run to open an 11-point lead, 45-34, with 14-43 left to play, prompting a timeout from Kevin Willard. The Pirates held their composure and chipped away at that lead. With 6.37 to go, a mini 8-0 run bookended by three-pointers from Jared Roden and Bryce Aiken tied the game at 57. Down the stretch, Bryce Aking stepped up as the closer for this game and scored six points in the final two minutes. This included a four for six from the line and then the go-ahead attempts with 32 seconds left to play. Jared Roden then fouled Terrence Williams on a jump shot with 0.8 seconds to go to give Michigan a final chance to send the game to OT, but Williams missed the front end, ending the game with a little poetic justice. All right, Tommy, stats on this one. Jared Roden leading the way for the Pirates with 16 points, five boards, two assists. Breakout game for Trey Jackson, 13 points. Five of six from the floor, a perfect three of three from behind the line. And he also chipped in six rebounds. Bryce Aiken chipped in with 24 big minutes off the bench, scoring 13 points, 11 of them in the second half. For Michigan, it was led by Hunter Dickinson, 18 points, nine rebounds, four assists on eight of 11 from the floor. Eli Brooks had an all-around game, 17 points, six rebounds, four assists. And Devontae Jones had 11 points and 12 rebounds for a double-double. Team stats on this one, Michigan was plus six on the glass, 39-33, but the Hall turned things around and was plus three on the glass for the second half. Three-point shooting. Feels like it's going to be a trend for this season. Seton Hall didn't get above that mark that we're looking for. They only shot 30% in this one, nine of 30, but they did hold, hold Michigan to 20%, three of 15. Assists, 15 to eight. Michigan held the advantage. This game was a meat grinder in the half court. The fast break points were six to four in favor of Michigan. Only a total of 10 points getting out on the break. The turning point in this one, Tom, it was after that timeout called by Willard in the second half when the Pirates trailed by 10. All of a sudden, after all those three-pointers were being jacked up throughout the game, now they start attacking the basket. 
and six of their next eight buckets were at the rim. I don't know what Willard said in that timeout, but clearly the mentality of the Pirates changed. Bryce Aiken kind of ran the point from there on out from about the 15-minute mark on, and he basically played till the end of the game, and it was a downhill attack-the-rim mentality. Yeah, they took a couple threes still, but it was just a different offensive philosophy in the second half. And I'm, I'm thinking Willard said something in that timeout. Mikey, Sorry. let's put on those blue-tinted glasses and talk about everything good about this game. You know, that one thing we talked about, trick-or-treat, is this going to be Willard's deepest team? This is definitely Willard's deepest team. I mean, we had different guys stepping up for other guys who weren't having good games. This wasn't like a previous Willard team that we've been used to seeing, Mike. No, no, it's, it's going to be one of these stories that we're going to talk about the entire season. They go nine deep, right? So if you get Brandon Weston back or if you work Jahari Long into the rotation, they might go 10 deep. I think Willard's going to stick with the nine-man rotation, and you're going to have situations where some guys are off, and he's going to roll with the best five, and that's going to be the situation on a night-in and night-out basis, and that's fine. If it's not your night, slide over. There are guys on the bench that can step in and give you double digits. We've seen it now in multiple games. Trey Jackson, Bryce Aiken, you had Samuel in the first couple games. And there are options on this team, and I don't care what anybody said, we really haven't been this deep until you go way back to the PJ teams, right? We talked about the, the 20 team. We talked about the Isaiah Whitehead team. They didn't really go nine deep. They didn't have four or five guys off the bench that could have monster nights. They had guys that contributed. They have guys off the bench that they could be the go-to guys on a given night. That's huge. Hey, what a homecoming for Trey Jackson, the player from Detroit coming back, playing big in Ann Arbor, Mike. I told you I like Trey Jackson, right? I mean, when I was watching his highlight you videos from back in high school. You did not say you like Trey Jackson. I like you Trey know, Jackson. What? This is another one of those kids with a poor motor. I, I don't know about this guy. That uh, Don't make me go back to the archives, Mikey. I said the, the, the feedback from the Missouri people, we were just given the facts of what was being reported. I said in watching his film from high school, the guy shared versatility. Go to the rim, play a play above the rim, shoot the three. He did all that in this but, game. But did he shoot any free throws in his hype video, Mike? I know no, how no, much no, you like that. Stop it. Stop picking on Sandro. Sandro has graduated and moved on already, right? But I thought Trey was going to be more of a finesse play behind the three-point line, try to be more agile and really not be a guy that's going to attack the basket in the post. He grabbed a couple tough rebounds. He, he muscled up a couple baskets to get to the rim and, and, and give him a, a much-needed lift in the first half to keep that game close. I think he scored like eight points in a couple minutes when the Pirates were struggling there down the stretch in the first half. Otherwise, that game could have gotten away from him. And Trey was tough. He played I liked some it. tough. He grabbed some rebounds, like you said. He played some tough defense. Yeah, he was a revelation during that game, Mike. All right, now we're, we're still doing blue-tinted glasses. So Kadari has a bad game. And last year, if our point guard had a bad game, we were in big trouble. We said that on a on the road, in a tough environment, in front of a raucous crowd, Kadari's going to have to kind of settle things down at the Pirates in their offense. And he just he wasn't having a good game. But who stepped up? Oh, he almost got hurt again. But who stepped up? Bryce Aiken. Look, Jared Roden had his moments in this game. You know, Jared Roden's the leading scorer. He had a couple bursts where you were like, wow, the, the, he's the guy on this team. But down the stretch, who was the closer? Aiken hits the three to tie it after Michigan takes the lead 62-60. Aiken hits the step back jumper at the foul line, extended to tie the game again. And twice, twice, he uses savviness and aggressiveness with the ball 
to get to the free throw line. He was the closer down the stretch for the Pirates in this game. He has the ability to be that guy. I said that in the preseason prediction stuff, and you laughed at me. And you laughed at me. And there I laughed is. at you because he hasn't proven to be healthy, Mike. Every so time he, he goes to the basket, he's limping. But, but he's healthy right now. Right now, Maybe. he's healthy. Maybe. When he's on the Maybe. court, he, he's dynamic. And in this game, nobody he ever up in doubted a big way. that, Mike. Nobody ever doubted. But putting your eggs in that basket's a bad move. I didn't say I'm doing that. I'm just evaluating what happened in this game. And a healthy Bryce Hagan was the closer down the stretch and the X factor for this win, along with a couple of the guys such as Roden and Trey Jackson. And on different nights, we said it, the depth is all over the place. There's other guys that can step up. But on this night, Trey Jackson, Jared Roden, and Bryce Aiken get get the, the gold stars, if you ask. And, and you know what's impressive? Beyond just going on the road and doing that against a top four team, this crowd was a good crowd. I know you didn't want me to say that. I know you gave me a lot of grief when I was saying it during the game, but this was a true road environment, Mike. There was something in the neighborhood of 12,500 people there. They were saying it was at 99% capacity at the Chrysler Center. You're telling Man. me they couldn't get 1% more? They couldn't get that last 1% in the building? Come on, give me a break. They're, I don't know. I, I don't make the numbers up. I just report them. And this team played really well. We didn't turn the ball over. Only 11 turnovers. And what do we always complain about? Kevin Willard taking his time and calling that timeout a little too late? This time he seemed to push all the right buttons, Mike. No, I, I highlighted it in the turning point. You know, that was the moment in which they started to attack the basket, but it wasn't one or two guys. You know, there were six different guys that scored in that stretch to get them back in the game. And when they were jacking threes, all of a sudden they got five gutty layups going in and, and fighting fighting for an easy shot. They were settling throughout most of the game. And when, when it mattered most, they toughed it out. I, I really liked it. And I'm, I'm going to give Willie credit here because we don't know what was said in the timeout, but they came out of that next five-minute stretch with a completely different mentality. Also, I know you're not going to be happy that they missed some free throws down the stretch, but they made the big ones that counted, right? They make four of the six meaningful free throws to try to ice and win the game. And I'm, I'm not going to count the last two for Bryce with 0.2 seconds to go. I'm, I'm not protecting Bryce here for the record, okay? The, the, the game was over at that point. There was 0.2 seconds to go. Those free throws didn't meet anything. But Aiken and Kale both made the second free throw after they missed the first, when the crowd was going nuts. You tell me, when, when Aiken goes to the line the first time and we're tied and he misses the first one, you're like, ah, crap, really? Oh, the guy's like 90% and he missed the first that one. that ball. He just totally front-rimmed it. So now you're doubting that he's going to make the second. Boom, he makes it. He gets fouled later on. He makes both. Down one for them to take the lead. Then Kale goes to the line and he bricks the first one strong off the back rim. Come on. I know, I know Kale's your boy, but you're not having confidence in that moment oh, no, that Kale's coming not, back and making the second is, one. This is continuing on. This is going to be a storyline through the rest of the year. They, they made the ones that counted, but the point is you missed the first one. It just kind of squeezes the ball a little bit more. The crowd is extra juice. So much easier to miss that second one, and they both stepped up. You're right, Tom. The poise across multiple aspects of the second half of that game, kudos to the team. I was impressed. You know, we've known each other for a long time now, and I can't believe we haven't brought up this point yet because I know how much you enjoy watching it. But the defense, oh my goodness, was the defense 
stellar this evening. We came into this game worrying about Hunter Dickinson, the All-American 7-foot-1 center for Michigan, the straw that stirs the drink for them. And he had a nice night, but down the stretch, he was totally neutralized. He made one field goal over the last 15 minutes, and Ike was giving him fits. Well, it's not even just neutralized. The guy goes 8-for-11 in this game. So it's not like he all of a sudden started jacking bad shots and he missed like eight of his last nine attempts. We just didn't let him get a look. Ball denial, doubling the post, raking down, just fronting the ball, just great defense forcing him to have a tough time. Tom, but you said it was great defense tonight. Have they not played great defense the first two games as well? I, I is this do. not a carryover effect? But this was the first one that matters, though, Mike. I knew. Oh, now, now I, it matters. Now it matters. I, I say oh, some guys I, are stat sheet stuffing against a weak competition, and so therefore the defense doesn't count in those games. If Come you're on. impressed about the defense against FDU and Yale, I don't know what to tell you, Mike, but it wasn't just singular efforts. This was a team defensive effort. I mean, we forced 18 turnovers. They they seemed to do things that they weren't used to doing in previous games. They mean they switched to a random 2-3 look and got a shot clock violation. They got a 10-second call with their full court press. And your guy, Jameer Harris, whose game wasn't all that impressive, he takes a charge in the backcourt. I mean, it was just a total do, do you really effort. Do you really have to take a backhanded comment uh, at the guy? There wasn't it, a backhanded comment. That, was, this, that came right between the eyes, Mike. The blue-tinted glasses section. The guy steps up and gets a big-time charge call in a crucial moment in the game. And, and instead of giving him his, his praise, you go, I didn't have a good game, but he got a charge. I, like, what is that? I, what I, is I, that? Sorry, man. Truth hurts sometimes, Mikey. Look, one of the big keys coming into the season was really kind of turning things around from the three-point line, both the way we shoot the ball offensively and the way we defend it. The the numbers last year were just not good uh, in both metrics. But the three-point defense, Tom, is off the charts right now. Coming into the game, the Hall was ranked second nationally, giving up 11.1% shooting behind the line. And then you're like, ah, maybe, maybe it was a little bit of a fluke, right? Not a fluke. Michigan shoots three of 15. Now for the season, the Halls defended the three-point line to a tune of eight for 60. And where do they rank now? That is now third nationally. Third nationally, Tom. Come on. The guys were hustling. They were constantly active. They're switching. And when they switch, I have the confidence right now that guys can guard different positions, one through four in most cases, which allows them, I think, to get out there and close out well on these three-point shooters. I don't think this is going to be a fluke. I don't think it's going to be a small metrics of three games. I think this is going to be a strength of the Pirates throughout the rest of the season, and that's going to be a big component for their defense potentially being an elite defense. That, that was a big reason for, for a lot of Ajita last year, Mike. We weren't hitting our threes, and we were giving up way too many, so good job from the guys. All right, last but not least, Blue tinted glasses for my predictions going into the game. I said you got to have three keys to the game, and two out of three came through. One was Jared Roden had to make shots for them to stem the tide. He scores seven points early to pace the hall, kind of quiet the crowd down. And at the 638 mark, when they were down by eight, he scores seven of the next 10 points and gets them back to within one. 
right? And then the other key was Ike had to slow down Hunter Dickinson in the post, and I'll throw it back to you. Way to go about patting yourself on the back. Real way to go out there on a limb and say, yes, Ike has to play well against the All-American center and our preseason first team Big East selection needs to be the guy that scores some baskets. I, I, I can say that I nailed three for three. Limb, Mike. I can I say that I nailed prefer- it. Hang on. I, I much I prefer hearing Jim. No, I much prefer hear Jim Jackson make a mistake by saying he thinks Tyree Samuel is going to be the key to the game than hearing this. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I could have said I was three for three. I said that Kadari's got to have steadying in point guard play. I should have just said we need steadying in point guard play, <laughs> which we got out of Aiken, and I'd be a perfect three for three. But go ahead, G- give Ike his ba- due. Basketball one hundred one, Mike. But you know, you want me to give my, uh, you want me to give Ike his due. Whoa, did you see that? Michigan was not ready for the big man down low early in that first half. He had three blocks in what seemed like sixty seconds, Mike. It's like they just kept coming back for more, and he just kept swatting them away. Well, until you get to see it firsthand, you don't know what to expect. And then sometimes you're like, all right, he got one. I'm going to go back in there. And he gets another one. You're like, uh, one more try. Nope. Nope. Don't, don't do, don't do that. Get that out of here. I, he was, he was doing his thing. And I, I think that also helps set the tone because now teams want to settle for that jump shot and not go attack him. Uh, he had another four blocks in this game. What, what's he up to like 11, 12 for the season already? Something intense. But you, you know, what's really crazy. If you look at his stat sheet, one point, three rebounds, Yes, the four blocks, but you look at that in a vacuum and you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, he got a few blocks, but that's not that big a game. But there was nobody else that I wanted at the five late in that game, Mikey. I gave you 28 quality minutes and and don't uh, downplay that one point. He actually makes the front end of a one and one to tie the game at 60 late in the ballgame with the free throw that he makes. I mean, he was a presence on the floor having to make Dickinson work for everything that he got. And Willard said it in his post game. He goes, Ike, I don't think you're going to get a rebound tonight because I don't want you to get a rebound tonight. I want you to try to block everything. You know, it's, it's that Patrick Ewing swat everything into the first row and create this like this fear factor for the opposition. That's what Ike does for us. Now, sometimes they're going to get some offensive rebounds because that puts people out of position but I think when you have the size advantage uh, of, of Michigan or their strong front court play of a team like Michigan, that settles it down. And, and that's what they needed. They needed Dickinson to not be playing at the rim the entire game. When he was throwing down some of those dunks on the pick and roll early in the game, that got the crowd ignited. There wasn't much of that at all in the second half. And I think that allowed the Pirates to keep that poise that we talked about. And Ike deserves a lot of that credit. Well, when you get the credit, you got to get the criticism, and it wouldn't be us if we didn't go over some sour grapes and gripes, Mike. So, you know, the big three transfers, they struggled mightily this game. Jameer Harris went two for seven from three. Alexis Yetna only four boards and, and a big goose egg from behind the three-point line. And then mightily, mightily, hang on, mightily. Harrison yet they did not have good games, but but they still contributed. 
I mean, Harris made a couple of timely threes. Yetna got the and one putback when the Pirates were down 11 and struggling. You right. know, he had a nice finish on the break from Kadari to cut the lead to five in the second half. I mean, I, they look at it. They did not get the big minutes down the stretch, nor did they deserve it. But don't put them in the goose egg category. Mike, could you know Kadori had the bag? I know you don't want to hear anything bad about the two guys who you never saw play before with your own eyes, yet you had them starting and grabbing eight boards a game. I so know you. you don't want so to hear you. this, Mike. So did you. I did think Yetna's rebounding was going to transfer from the lower conferences, but it hasn't shown up yet. But... They did not play well, Mike. I like the effort. I'm sorry. I like their effort. They were hustling. They were diving on the floor. They were scrapping it up. I, conversely, conversely, Kadari really had a rough game. Okay, so I want to emphasize on his game and his impact early on and also in the first four minutes of the second half. I mean, Tom, you're, here's the guy that we're going to put a lot of faith in, and you keep on saying it. You expect Bryce to be hurt. So God forbid if Bryce gets hurt, going to be even more responsibility put on Kadari and his first marquee spotlight is on kind of situation. Yeah. I said, maybe the are a little bit high. We're watching him dribble into a double team on the press. He's pulling up one on four for a jump shot in transition. And he gets it blocked from behind. He's got an easy over the back foul call for the ref to make in that first half. And then he also gets his, his pocket picked. He's just holding the ball there at the three point line, thinking about what he's going to do. And the Michigan guy just kind of reached in and poked it right out. And then it ignited a fast break layup on the other side. I mean, Willard gave him a chance to start the second half and he just didn't get things going. He passed the ball to Harris down around the ankles, another turnover that started a fast break. And that was it. And I'm going to give Willard a lot of credit on this, this podcast episode. You didn't see him the rest of the game. Aiken came in with about 15 and change to go and Kadari was done for the night. And I thought that was the right call. Maybe he'll have a chance to redeem himself. I think he's going to have games where he bounces back and he's the, the shining star that we expect, but tonight was not his night. And I give Willard, like I said, a lot of credit for making the call and playing Bryce the entire home stretch of that game, 15 minutes when he's typically on a minutes restriction. And yet, Michael, we won the game. Let's yeah, move absolutely. On. No, absolutely. No, we, we won, right? In spite of three guys that we expect a lot from, they won in a hostile road environment against a top five team nationally. What a win. But, but there are still some fundamental flaws. I mean, how do you feel about once again, the team not sharing the basketball and only having eight assists? With all the talent on this team and all the numbers that these guys are racking up, I don't understand how they're not getting double digit assists by accident. There is just way too much one-on-one hero ball they're taking a lot of forced threes as shown with this nine for 30 i think my percentage trick uh predictions is going to come true if they keep taking shots like that mike i'm just, I, I'm just not okay that they're taking 50 percent of their shots from the game behind the three-point line like i said if they're having a night where they're shooting the lights out go for it but on a night that you're shooting 30 percent, I, I don't want to see the chucks i, I, I just don't I mean, here's another thing that I kind of was breaking down and analyzing. We did a lot of it last year, too. Why do we run the, the high pick and roll predominantly with Ike? I, I don't get it, right? So here's a guy who does not effectively roll to the basket because his hands are not good. Why wouldn't you put a guy like Roden in that action? 
Why wouldn't you put a guy like Trey Jackson in that action? Do we have to run it with the five spot? Or, why can't or, you run it with two why guards? Not running it with Yetna. I mean, Yetna has shown uh, outside of this Michigan game, he's shown that he could pop that three. Why not? Or and, and then roll maybe, but why not? I, I don't know. I mean, I, it was interesting to once again see some lack of offensive sets from Willard. He talked about it in the post game and took some accountability. We'll get to that later on. But man, it was fun to watch Brooks and Dickinson play their two man game. It was smooth. When they actually had a basket that went down, you were like, wow, look at that. Look at that offense. Right. That was smooth. We really have to fight for the buckets that we get. Right. And on, on certain nights, if the other team's shooting well, and hopefully our defense will kind of carry us through those nights. But if another team is hot and we are scrapping for every bucket, you might find yourself on the wrong side of the scoreboard on those given nights if it's not going down from three. So just I'm looking for a little more creativity on the offensive side still. Maybe we shouldn't call it sour grapes and gripes today. Maybe we should just call it areas of opportunity. Look, take this back to the corporate setting, right? You got the you got the positives that you had on your evaluation. Here are your areas of opportunity and growth, right? You had a good year, and we still want to see you grow. How about we just call it and yet we won? So let's let let's finish this off and let's nitpick a little bit more. We need to do a lot better from the free throw line, Mike. We went 10 for 18, and we still happen to win by two. You know, if we shoot a better free throw percentage, we win this thing going away. You could, could have. You never know. Got to ice the game from the free throw line when you can. We made those four out of six. But, man, one more miss, and the door would have been left open, and I don't know how it would have played out. And, right? and Mike, like- when we're not making our free throws like we weren't against Michigan, why are we not lining up for potential rebounds? I don't know. Because there there was a situation early in that that comeback where they Ike misses the front end of his one-on-one and Trey Jackson gets in there for an offensive rebound and then kicks it back out to Jared Roden and Jared attacks the basket uh, for his layup. And that was like part of his back-to-back buckets to, to help cut the lead down to, I think it was five at that point, or maybe cut it to three. But there's Trey getting a crucial offensive rebound on a free throw miss. Yet later in the game, he's pulling everybody off the line. And there was a free throw that kicked really wide out with the right sideline. That's one of the situations we probably would have gotten it back. I, I don't get it. I can understand if you don't want to pack the line. But why are there not two guys on the free throw line? Why? I, I don't know. It drives me crazy. I, 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 we don't shoot the free throws well enough not to at least get in there and try to fight for the boards. And, and there's a couple, like I said, we're nitpicking now, but these are little details that in a close game, it could come back to bite you. The game was tight late and Aiken loses his guy in the, I guess it's probably the, the left baseline corner if you're watching it from home. And you could see that as the ball's getting swung around from the post out to the corner, you know, Bryce loses his guy. He's kind of standing in space. I'm going to go back to our, our coaching days, Tom, or our playing days back in back in high school, right? Oh, I stop remember it, being like, stop it. Don't embarrass I'm, yourself. I'm going to do it, Tom. I remember being taught one thing on defense. It was ball, you, man. You had to be able to see where the ball was, and you also had to see the guy that you were guarding at all times. You had to, kind of, you had to put like your six guns out and be able to point to both guys and be in position to see both guys with your eyes. And how many times do you see guys – either cut back door or dart to the corner and defenders lose that guy because they're not able to not put the proper position to see ball and man consistently. That was an example for Bryce. That was a big three pointer late in the game. We came back and, uh, and answered with a rodent bucket 
but man, the game could have got away from us there. I, I believe the, the score was tied at 56 at that. No, it was 57 at that time. And they hit the three and then Roden comes back to make it 60 to 59. I mean, that was a key junction in that game. And that was a dagger three by Michigan. I can't they won. Be- they, they won. They won. You're right. But little tiny details. I can't believe you're talking about freshman basketball, Mike. Let's Ball you man, here, Tommy. Man. Ball you oh, man. Oh, the things you talk about. But you know what? Kevin Willard was just wonderful on the post game. I mean, he he was just gregarious. He was given credit left and right. He was talking about making mistakes. He was one happy camper, Michael. Are you telling me we're going to our favorite segment? And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. Okay, Mike. Kevin Willard came on the post game with Gary and Dave. And he had a lot of nice things to say. I mean, he this was kind of a different Kevin than we're used to. Coach was good. Coach was really good. I'm going to say that this is maybe the, the new Kevin Willard potentially, right? We're normally picking on Coach, talking about some of his transgressions, specifically picking on uh, kind of his PR approach in this postgame. When he wins, it's a different Kevin Willard than when they lose. But I liked some of his answers, and we're going to highlight – Three clips, and I was impressed by Coach in all three. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna label each one for you, right? The first one I'm gonna call it Kevin Willard taking accountability. I'm happy for the I'm happy for this for these guys, man, because they've you know it's it's a it's a new team, and we're we're still trying to figure things out, but they're giving unbelievable effort. I mean, our first three games, uh, you know, just they're flying around, they're doing everything, and uh, you know they're they're working really really hard. And you know, <laughs> offensively we stink right now. We're just we're taking so many bad shots, but that's my fault, not their fault. You know, I'm putting it in those situations. Did Kevin Willard just take blame for the offense not being good, Mike? It's only been 12 years. Uh, he he did. He credits his team's effort. He takes a little bit of accountability, tongue in cheek. But I also think he goes to his go-to bag of tricks. Every early season interview, you know, we're, we're still trying to figure things out. That, that's it. That's a Kevin Willard go-to. But you know what? I realizes that there needs to be some growth on this offensive side of the basketball. But he's really proud of these guys and what they do defensively. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say good job, Kevin, taking accountability. Segment number one, check in the box. But you, so you you did say this is the new Kevin Willard, Mike, and, and I do agree. The confidence of this man all of a sudden about how he thought this game was going to go. I'm going to call I, segment number two, Willard the tactician for you. How about that? I, you know, I, I felt going into the game that if we had two or three days to prepare, that we'd, we'd have a really good shot at winning. And, um, you know, I put a new pick-and-roll scheme in yesterday, you know, uh, a little bit crazy, just trying to, you know, trying to take away their role and making making these, those guys try to shoot over Ike. And Ike was phenomenal i mean he was unbelievable how well he played um and he and you know he was in charge of guarding the guy coming off the pick and roll so what we did is we fought over so brooks couldn't shoot a three we stayed with him and then we slid the guard onto dickerson so they couldn't hit the roll and we had ike guard and just say hey man have him shoot over you because no one's shooting over you isn't exactly how that game played out like to a t he's not wrong they're not gonna shoot over ike 
He gave you the game plan. He told the team, we got limited time to prepare to put this into play. And they executed it flawlessly. We were not losing guys off the pick and roll for easy dives to the bucket. And we weren't kind of, you know, trailing so much that we were leaving the open three-point shooter. They were kind of funneling him right into Ike and saying, hey, if you want to make this 15-footer over our 7-2 guy, go right ahead. We'll play their percentages of that being a bad shot. And Michigan didn't even want to take that shot. I, I got to give Willard a lot of credit. What I love the best about that quote is like, if we can pull this off, I knew we were going to win, right? How awesome is that? When's the last time you heard Coach actually say something of that nature? I mean, that is not the regular Kevin Willard we're used to. I would have liked to hear Kevin say it before the game going in and saying, hey, we're going to go win this game, right? In, in retro, in hindsight's 2020, right? It's a lot, e- a lot easier to say, I knew we were going to win this game after the fact, you know, and, and if they would have lost, they would have said, you know, something about the tough schedule and how could how could the, the Gavin games put us at Michigan? But but the point was, I like the confidence. You could feel the confidence, you know, protruding from other guys on this team. Roden is a big mouthpiece for this, for this uh, program right now. And he's all about, like, we're coming to get it. He's like, I'm not coming into this game for, you know, uh, what do you mean? A moral victory. We have all moral victories. It was a good, it's a good loss for the Pirates. Roden didn't want any part of a, of, a, of a moral victory. I think the team is starting to rally around that mantra. All right. So the last piece, I'm going to give Willard his due one more time. We're going to call this last one Willard the chiropractor. And, you know, it, it was, you know, I thought the press really changed the second half. You know, we, have, we haven't been able to work on it as much as I want to, but I thought, jumping in the press and just kind of getting them out of the rhythm. We jumped in the zone. You know, we played zone on the last possession, you know, because they, they were going to run a, you know, a, a pin down slip to a post up. And, you know, him one-on-one, he's going to score. You know, he's, he's that good of a player. So we went to zone, and we actually played it right. I couldn't believe it, you know, for not playing as much zone as we have. So He's right. We don't really don't play the zone well at all. But, it, uh, Wow. But great call at certain points in the game, switched to the zone, gave him that press look. That's when Jameer Harris had the charge. Thank you. Uh, they got the 10 second call. He had an influence on kind of picking up the pace. He even said, he goes, I needed them to kind of get a little more pep in their step. So I wanted to kind of change the, the flow of the game. So I went to the press. I'm going to give Willard his due again. Yeah. I think he earned his chiropractic moniker. For this game. Kevin did a real good job in the game. He did a real good job on the mic afterwards. But Mike, did everybody do a real good job on the mic? Yeah, I, th- I think we should start with a positive again. Let's start with a mic drop. I am a huge fan of Gary Cohen. We don't normally highlight him on this show. We normally pick on the announcers that do a bad job. But, you know, Gary gave a summation uh, in the post game that I just thought was fantastic. So, Play the clip. I know it runs for almost a minute, but I love Gary, and I don't think we appreciate him enough. And to listen to him describe this victory for the Pirates and the outlook going forward, I I felt pumped after listening to Gary talk here. It emphasizes everything that Kevin Willard stands for as a coach, right? Stands for toughness. He stands for defense. Think about what the Pirates have done over these first three games. They, again, chased a pretty good three-point shooting team off the three-point line. Michigan went just 3 of 15. Means over the first three games, the opposition is 8 for 60 from the three-point arc against Seton Hall. But the other, at the same time they were doing that, they were able to deny Michigan's best play. 
I think only once all night did Michigan run a successful pick and roll with Hunter Dickinson. They shut that off as well. So if you can do the job of stopping a perimeter team from shooting perimeter shots and stop a great big man from catching the ball cleanly on pick and rolls, you are an elite defensive team, and that's what Seton Hall has been. You add the toughness at the other end, the experience that they brought to the table with guys like Aiken and, and Roden and J- even Jackson down the stretch. I mean, this was something to behold. It really was. So, Tommy, don't you agree with Gary? This could be an elite defensive team? Mike, when Gary gets on his soapbox, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, it's it's poetic and and he cuts through all the nonsense and brings out the truth. Yes, this team can have that special quality about its defense. Uh, absolutely. Gary hits all the right strides here. All right. But, but, but it wouldn't be Mike drops and Mike flops unless we actually pick on a couple guys. You're so going to pick on the interns again, aren't you, Mike? Aren't you getting tired of Fox pregame graphics being completely out of whack? They never get them wrong for the other teams. They only get them wrong for us, it seems like. But is Jared Roden not a forward? They had him listed as like the, the, the first guy on the graphic is normally the point guard. And there's Jared Roden as the first guy on the screen as a guard. And then there's Kadari Richmond in like the fourth slot, which is normally the power forward. And they got Kadari listed as a forward. Can, can we please get that right? Mike, I'm going to leave the interns alone. Someone got the graphics wrong. But I'm going to give Dave Popkin a hard time here, Mike. Well, well, friend of the show, Dave Popkin? Don't do that, Tommy. You can go with Brian Custer. I can't go with Dave Popkin. Come on now. I'm going to just play the clip and let it go here. Then with 10 seconds left, Miles Kell made one out of two. Seton Hall led it 66-64. Michigan came back down, and Brian O'Connell called a foul that I will have to see on replay to believe on Jared Roden that put Terrence Williams, a sophomore, at the line uh, for Michigan. He would miss the first, basically ensuring victory for Seton Hall. Mike, now I know there's got to be some sort of balance or something with the 1989 game having a difficult foul call at the end of it and this one I don't know maybe he's trying to write maybe he's trying to pull a Mike Desiree and pull a narrative out of his hat but that was Jared Roden jumping into a jump shot come on now without a doubt it was I'm, I'm sitting there screaming at the tv going stupid 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 just you never foul a jump shooter right if if Jared doesn't foul him there, that is a really tough shot to have to make. You know, as the buzzer is going to sound to try to tie that game. That was a 18 foot jump shot fading away, leaning leaning to his uh, his left. He's right handed. Jared's just got to know better there. You can't leave your feet and leave yourself exposed. Hey, it worked. It worked out in the end, but that would have been a huge sour grapes and gripes if that didn't work out. And there's Dave trying to make excuses for the refs call. It's the right call. Clearly was the right call. Sorry. All right, Tommy, can we move on to my new favorite segment? I know you said Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard is our favorite segment, but this is my new favorite segment. Can I do my resume building? And now that the Pirates beat a top five opponent, can we talk top 25? Just can we like, talk top 25? Just like you gave me two minutes for my alumni watch, your two minutes start now. I- I'm sorry, but they're, they're on the message board. There's like a thread that's a mile long with people predicting where the Pirates are going to... People care about this stuff, Tommy. They care about this stuff. All right, let, I'll, I'll be quick. Let's start with the resume-building portion for the Pirates. Huge win. This win is going to carry merit for them throughout the rest of the season. 
Michigan's going to be at the top of the Big Ten standings. They're going to be top of the metrics. It's a road win. It's a true road win. It's not one of those neutral games early in the season. Huge resume piece for Seton Hall. It's also going to mean that if they lose a game or two in the non-conference, they're going to be able to kind of look back and go, we still had a successful non-conference because of this victory. But the Gavit games were a success for the Big East. After Rutgers screwed the pooch uh, this Thursday night, losing at lowly DePaul, the Big East took the Gavit games trophy at a 6-2 to two clip for the first time ever. Three ranked teams go down in this series, all on the Big Ten side. It's the first time that the Big East wins the Gavit games. Now the all-time series is 24-24. to 24. All resume-building wins for most of the other teams. Marquette wins a big upset against Illinois. Providence wins at Wisconsin. They're just good wins left and right. Uh, Ohio State went down to uh, uh, at Xavier this night as well. I mean, that's kind of kind of take a little luster off of the game against them next because now we're probably going to be ranked, and they're not. But all good wins to build the net rankings of the Big East, which is just going to mean that there's more quality opportunities for resume-building wins during conference play. Keep on rooting for all your Big East foes and friends throughout Thanksgiving week. And, I know you I'll don't want to. I know you don't want to do that, but that's what you got to do. And I'll tell you, it was only one bad loss this this entire Gavit games because the Johnnies played tough all the way down the stretch against Indiana. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can call that a bad loss. I mean, I, I think the Johnny should have won. No, but it's, no, it's I'm not talking about that. Game, I'm talking right? about the Butler loss. Butler getting spanked by Michigan State. I think Butler's a little overhyped. I think everyone just likes to find that one dark horse team. And, you know, Butler brought back like 15 seniors or something like that. So everyone's going to they, – they, they weren't good for the first four years that they were there. I'm not going to get up on Butler bringing all their guys back. I mean, what, the, the, the Bryce brothers combined for, what, like two points in that game? Uh, okay, we're getting off on a tangent. You said I only got a couple minutes. Let's move on to this top 25 watch where we might get pro- slotted into the top 25 because the Pirates will definitely be there come Monday morning when the AP press comes out with those rankings. I think it's pretty simple. You're going to have certain writers that will just sit there and say, if you lose, you're out, and teams that made a statement move in. So you got teams like Illinois at 10 lost, Oregon lost at home to BYU. That was 12th. Maryland lost to George Mason. They were 20th. Ohio State was 19th, and they lost to Xavier, as I mentioned. And, of course, Michigan lost. That's five teams in the top 25 that already lost. Now, I know Michigan was at four, and Seton Hall wasn't even in, so it'd be interesting to see, can we jump them? But we should. So that's five teams. Probably gets you right around 20 at least. I got one more nugget for you. Over the weekend, at the Hall of Fame tip-off, Nova number 4 plays number 17, Tennessee. Number 6, Purdue plays number 19 North Carolina someone's got to win someone's got to lose and then they move on in those brackets and play each other again so three of those teams are going to end up with a loss this weekend you could have technically eight different top 25 teams that lose opening the door for Seton Hall could slide in there I think you're going to have certain like I said writers just say you lose you move down and other guys move up I think you're going to have some bias on the northeast saying I'm putting Seton Hall like 10 which I think is ridiculous but those numbers are going to kind of balance out. And if you get all these losses that we have and you have some of those writers overinflating the Pirates, I think I'm going to think I'm crazy here. I'm going to say the Pirates are going to come in somewhere around 16. Ooh, wow. I, I, you know, I was going to say that anything between 18 and 23rd smells right. It I did, think- but it did. But you had all these losses all of a sudden the last couple of days. 
So the, the door's been opened a little bit. So I'm that, 16, 17. I'll, I'll hedge jump. a little that's bit. That's a big jump it from is. going is. from no votes to 16. So hey, I, seven, I, seven. I, we had seven votes. Seven votes. Okay. I, I don't know, man. That's rough. I, I, I don't know that we get up that high. But, hey, I'm not going to complain about it if it happens. But, you know, if not this week, Mike, we've got a great opportunity to get up higher in those standings when we go down to Florida for the Fort Myers Classic. We're going to be running into Ohio State and then the winner of the Florida Cal game. Well, that, that's the interesting part, right? Like you wanted to possibly win two more back-to-back top 25 resume building wins, and then you have Xavier knock off Ohio State. And they'll probably be out of the top 25 now. So who would have thought going into this game, Seton Hall would be the ranked team and possibly even the favored team in this Ohio State matchup. If Ohio State had beat Xavier and it was Ohio State ranked still in the top 25, they were what, 19? They moved up a couple slots and then we beat them and then Florida had moved up a couple slots and you beat two top 25 teams back to back down in Florida. Tommy, I would have made a case for you. That they could have been top 10. Well, Mike, I don't want to hear about Ohio State from you. So let's go behind Denemy Lines and get an insider's view on this year's Buckeyes. He is the Ohio State men's basketball beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Adam Jardy. Adam, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. What what an excited intro. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, thank you, Adam. I appreciate it, Tom. Tom kind of spooks most of our guests with that intro. So that's sort of my first question is how do you like that energy that he brings to the podcast? Man, I'm I'm like, I'm fired up. Like, let, let's go play this game here in a couple hours. Like, I'm ready to go. This is great. So speaking of fired up, I'm, I, we appreciate the time. I'm, I'm surprised that you're out, not out there covering the big football game between uh, the Spartans and the Buckeyes this afternoon. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you, I, I, I tell this to lots of people, I legitimately feel like I have the best job in Ohio because – Uh, I get to cover Ohio state basketball as my primary focus. And there's lots of people that cover the program, um, but not without also covering football. We have very talented, uh, well-paid coworkers of mine who cover the football program. And I focus exclusively on basketball. And so I am very, very lucky in that aspect because it's a, it's a great program to cover. It's high level basketball and it's the sport I'm best at. So I, I just enjoy very much what I get to do and, yeah, there's a big football game going on right now, and I'll watch it before and I'll watch it after. But I'm I'm really excited to talk some hoops. I probably shouldn't have taken the points with the Spartans. It looks like Ohio State's out to a 21 nothing lead at the end of the first. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's that offense does seem to be rolling right now. I do obviously I watch enough football to know that uh, they they seem to have something special going, and I think it's you know and this is a big game for Ohio State, but the big one's next week, and we all know that one. In that spirit, you know, Seton Hall and Ohio State this past week were kind of kindred spirits. Seton Hall traveled up to Ann Arbor, put a bit of a a smack on the Wolverines' hopes this season so far. But we always talk about Ohio State and Michigan in football. How does the rivalry match up in basketball? It's not exactly the same. And I think it's like this when you compare football and basketball, because obviously football, they only play once and they're only going to play once. And that's just, that's just how it is. So it's like you win that game, you got 365 days to love it and cherish it. And, and, you know, hold on to that Uh, basketball. You might play again in like two, three weeks and you might play three times in a season. It's interesting because in basketball, I feel like Michigan might tell you that it's big rival is Michigan state. And when it comes to like Ohio state's rivals in basketball, it sort of varies for, I feel like, 
Um, some Ohio State fans would tell you it's Indiana. Uh, for a while, it felt like it was Wisconsin because Thad Mata and Bo Ryan had a really good rivalry going uh, for about a decade. And, but there are certainly some, whenever they play Michigan, it doesn't matter what sport, like it's going to be the rivalry. It's going to be the game for certainly a large portion of the fan base. And uh, Chris Holtman has, has seized upon that a little bit. They started something last year where if you, the, the football program, if you beat Michigan, you get gold pants. And there's a whole long story about the, like the gold uh, chain that you get with the score of the game and everything. Uh, well, they started that now in basketball, where if you sweep Michigan in the season series, you get a gold Jersey and they, they, so in 2020, they swept Michigan. So that team, everybody got a, a gold chain or, you know, gold Jersey uh, with their number and the scores. So it's, it's certainly a rivalry. It's not quite as, as deep as football because it happens more often, but I can guarantee you when Michigan comes to Columbus here at the end of the season, it's going to be sold out. Well, let's jump right into basketball. Ohio State had a fantastic season last year, finishing 21-10, and 12-8 in the Big Ten, good for fifth. They finished ranked seventh overall in the AP poll, made the NCAA tournament, first-round loss to Oral Roberts, Currently this year, they're 3-1 and one with big last-second wins against Akron and a loss recently against Xavier. Chris Holtman has entered his fifth season, and he's done a fantastic job. He's led the Buckeyes to three NCAA tournaments in the past four seasons. But the team seems to have had a hard time getting out of the second round and were victims of that really rare 215 upset last year, like I mentioned. Is the success of Coach Holtzman measured by the results he has in the Big Ten, or is it in the big dance at this point? Well, I think at this point they'd like a little bit of both. It's been, I think, since 2013 that Ohio State has has brought home a trophy, whether it's a Big Ten regular season or a conference title, um, and they've not advanced out of the first round of the tournament in about that long as well, or the first weekend, excuse me. Uh, the, it's, a, it's a fan base that is ready to get back to that. And that team last year... That loss, I mean, that, that's a loss that, that stings and it lingers a little bit. And it certainly comes up in the, in the consciousness of like the fan base or just around the, the program. You know, being at Xavier here on uh, last Thursday night, the Xavier student section was chanting Oral Roberts at Ohio State. I mean, that's the kind of loss that it does stick with you until you look at Virginia, you know, the first 16-1 upset ever, and then they win it the next year. You, you need to get in the tournament and have that success to really kind of wash it away. Because obviously no one's chanting UMBC at, at Virginia anymore. They they came back, they won the whole thing. Um, and I'm not saying that Ohio State needs to win a national championship this season, but it's a it's a program that needs to find a way to get to that second weekend of the NCAA tournament because it's been a while and they've had they certainly have the talent. I I think, and I'm sure you guys know this too. There, there's a lot of programs that when COVID canceled the season, there's probably 40 teams that say they were definitely going to make the Sweet 16 that year. Ohio State legitimately was was one of those teams that I think would have. And they had a top 20 offense, top 20 defense. They were peaking at the right time. Like that was – it's tough when you evaluate where a program is right now because we're still so close to that canceled postseason. Um, I do think Ohio State probably would have made a Sweet 16 that year, but we'll never know. That's some serious biggie saltiness that Ohio State needs to get used to. I mean, Providence <laughs> was up in Wisconsin mocking this sarcastic clap. You know, you've got uh, Marquette fans uh, singing Country Road at West Virginia recently. You just got to get used to that kind of biggie saltiness. <laughs> oh, it's great. It, I, I mean, 
the, the Big East, it, it's, it's such a great pro or a great league to watch. I'm actually really excited. I'm picking up Dana O'Neill's new book about the Big East, uh, about the, the old Big East. Uh, I love love me some Big East basketball. I mean, if you like the sport, if you like college basketball, you can't you can't not enjoy whenever you get a chance to watch a Big East team in person. And that was I mean, that was a great game on Thursday night. Um, it's been a big big start to the season for the Big East. I mean, you know, hang the banner. <laughs> they they really took it to to the Big Ten there in the Gavit games. Right, second week of the season, Adam, slow it down, slow it down. <laughs> so you're talking about second weekend potential expectation try to wipe away some of that saltiness but to start the season ohio state had a nail-biting victory against akron uh and then they had that road loss to xavier in the gavit games that we're talking about right does that yep. temper the expectations of trying to get to a second weekend considering they had the preseason hype of 17th in the preseason polls and fourth overall in the big 10 yeah it's you're going to see an ohio team that's at interesting point in in its growth and in kind of where this whole thing is headed because they, they just found out that they're going to be without one of their key players for an extended period of time. I've been told it's at least going to be five to six weeks. It might be even longer, but uh, Justice Suing, who's a fifth-year forward, uh, he's a transfer from Cal. He's their second leading returning scorer from last season, and I think in a healthy year, was probably going to be an all-Big Ten type of player this season. They were really counting on him. He's a kind of a small forward by trade, but he can play power forward. He can handle the point. He does a lot for this team. And and when you're looking at a roster that lost a player in Dwayne Washington, who was their leading scorer, he's got a two-way deal with the Pacers. Now um, you're, you're looking for guys who can create their own shot guys who have proven they can do it at this level and do it at a high level consistently. And justice is that kind of player. There's no like for like replacement. And that, that Xavier game, um, you know, it was the, it was the second game. They didn't have him. And that's, that's going to take some time to adjust to, um, they've got some really young guards. And I think that's something it's going to be a talking point to me for every game for Ohio state this season. They just, they have a lot of uh, like they're two of their primary contributors in the backcourt are one's a first year freshman. One's a second year freshman, you know, cause the whole extra COVID year makes it hard to classify these guys. But um, it, this is not where I think Ohio state fans expected this team to be at this point in the season. I mean, to be three and one, with that, you know, that loss at Xavier, they're I think they're one in three against the spread, which sort of tells you they're just they're not quite performing to the the level of expectations. I think it's going to take a little while for them to get there. I think that the backcourt is talented, but they're still very young, and I'm very interested to see how they hold up against a, a, a team like Seton Hall. I mean, after watching after watching what what Seton Hall did to Michigan, I'm very intrigued to see how Ohio State's guards handle this kind of pressure. Well, let's stay with that theme of of expectations, right? You have. E.J. Liddell, you know, he, he comes back off the of first-team All-Big Ten honors and honorable All-American mentioned last year. You know, solid numbers, 16, five and a half, you know, 33% from three-point range, almost 50% from the floor. Yet on the early season, he's already stepped it up to a new level, 21 points a game, 57% from the floor, 37% from three. He's even blocking almost four shots a game. And I, I watched some of the early Ohio State action, and it appears that when Lindell is going, the Buckeyes are tough to beat. He literally put them on their backs as they tried to mount that rally against Xavier in the second half after he had some early foul trouble. Is the season going to be kind of as Liddell goes, Ohio State goes, and how far can he really take them? That's I, I think it is to a certain extent. I think that he's a talented enough player, and they have enough question marks right now kind of around him that you assume that they're, he's going to get help and he's going to get more production from some guys, but 
um, he's the one guy you can bank on right now. He's the guy that he's at the top of every scouting report. Um, you know, he, he is a really, really gifted player and it's been really fun to watch him grow and progress. I think he averaged like 5.7 points a game as a freshman coming off the bench and he blossoms into an all big 10 player his second year and really, really was close to leaving for the NBA, uh, but decided to come back. He's the first Ohio state player to be a first team, all league pick, and then decide to, to stay in school for another year since Aaron Kraft back in 2013. So these kinds of guys don't stay in college basketball very often anymore, which makes, I think what EJ is doing all the more special because it's just the type of talent that uh, college basketball fans don't see all that often. I think this team to an extent will go as far as EJ can carry them. The thing that's most interesting to me though, about that is that in sort of this era of college basketball, I feel like um, you need to be able, if you really want to carry a team and you want to be like that kind of guy, you've got to be able to sort of, I don't want to say get your own shot or create your own opportunity because EJ can definitely do those things, but he doesn't necessarily always have the ball in his hands. I feel like when we think about guys like that, who can just put a team on their back and will them to a win. A lot of times that's the guy that's bringing the ball up or the guy that, you know, it's usually in the backcourt and he's not a backcourt player. He's, he's getting some more of those attributes in his game and I we're seeing him grow all around, but that's, it's going to be a challenge. I think a couple of years ago, um, Ohio state's offense was basically exclusively revolved around Caleb Wesson, who was their center. And EJ's not a center, but trying to get the ball to a guy who makes his living a lot in the post, teams can take that away. And that can be a real challenge for an offense. And that's, to me right now with Ohio State, is they try to figure out with Justice Suing out, who can go out and get their own shot, and who can, who can make things happen. Um, you, you've got to find ways to get EJ the ball and hope that, you know, you can do that. The teams don't just say, okay, we're, we're not going to let you get the ball to him in his dangerous spots. He's, he's certainly the best part of this team right now. And I think he's, I mean, he, eight block shots at Xavier the other night, like Xavier missed like 30 shots and he blocked eight of them. So like he's, he, it's hard to ask much more from, from that guy right now. All right. So it seems like you keep kind of coming back to this topic of the backcourt and, you know, you have to have a dynamic backcourt or you got to have a guy who gets their own shot. And I've watched a couple of these games for Ohio State, and in the two games that they've struggled, it appears that the backcourt has coincidentally struggled as well, right? And it looks like there was a lot of faith placed in bringing in point guard Jamari Wheeler, a, you know, a super COVID senior, Penn State transfer, two-time All-Big Ten defensive selection, led the conference in steals as a junior, second in the conference as a senior. You know, but so far his numbers, which were mediocre on offense, are somewhat down this year. You know, definitely no, known for his defensive prowess, but is he, is he being expected to step up his offensive production, you know, for this team, even though he's a new addition to the transfer portal? I mean, a, a little bit, yes. But also, I mean, we, we have four years of data on Jamari Wheeler, and he's like a career four-point-a-game scorer or something like that. I think last year was like 5.7 or, or something like that, and that was his career high, like, by a full two or three points. Like he's just not, he's not a prolific scorer. He never has been. And I think to expect him to become that right now is that's unrealistic. I think he's going to have nights where he's going to give them some offense. And he's shown in, in some limited doses already that he's not a bad three point shooter. Um, he's hit, he's hit a couple. He had a big one the other night at Xavier that pulled him within two with about 40 seconds left. He, I think that part of his game, there might be a little bit more, um, than, than what he's shown through four years at Penn State. But, I mean, you guys you guys know from watching college basketball, you don't really expect a guy in his fifth year to suddenly go from a, 
you know, a four point a game score to like a double digit guy. Like that's just, that kind of growth isn't really realistic. Um, the thing that I'm, I'm surprised by though, is I was looking at his numbers after that Xavier game, the dude's got 18 assists and three turnovers. And I feel like I didn't even realize that until I actually looked at those numbers in black and white and said, Oh wow. Like he's not a, he's not like a necessarily gifted offensive guy. And I don't feel like he, He's not the greatest at, at initiating the offense and, and, you know, driving and getting the ball to guys in dangerous spots. But 18 and three tells you he's, he's doing something right. I'm still trying to exactly figure out how that, how that's happening. But um, I think they're overall, they're happy with him because he's given them some bite on defense and he's not turning the ball over. They'd like him to, to look for a shot a little bit more. Um, so teams can't just ignore him um, at the defensive end. 18 and three, I, I'm pleasantly surprised by that, and I think they probably are too. Adam, you must not be reading the Seton Hall message board. Speaking of guys coming back for their fifth season, I think there are fans out there that they just expect Miles Kale to still jump off the charts. I, I think he's going to have a great season, but but I'm with you. I think if you've seen a guy for four seasons, I think you know what you're going to get. Right. So, Tom, Tom's going to take issue with me on that comment, but <laughs> I think it is Ignore what it is. Ignore the Miles Kale blasphemy, Adam. He's been trying to bench him for four seasons, but – You know, obviously, EJ and Jamari are not the only talent on this team. And Ohio State seems to be an interesting blend of talented youth and experienced upperclassmen. You know, you got a lot of youth in the the, uh, backcourt with Malachi Brownman, who's a freshman, and Michi Johnson Jr. is a sophomore. Even Zed Key is only entering into his sophomore year. And compare that to the seniors. We mentioned Jamari Wheeler. You got Kyle Young. And you've got the pride of Versailles High School, Justin Arns. Sharp <laughs> shooting from the backcourt. And I know I just named a lot of uh, players and a big group to pick from. But who needs to be that X factor on this team for the Buckeyes to be successful this year? I think it's probably Malachi Branham. Um, the, the dude is a, he was a big time get for Ohio state. He's a four-star player, like a top 40 national recruit. He was Ohio Mr. Basketball as a senior. And it was a real big deal to keep him home, to keep him in Ohio. Um, they recruited the heck out of him. And the, the thing that, that I keep coming back to is their four games in here is in that Akron game. They're down, they're down a point with 3.7 seconds to go. And they call a timeout and they draw up a play. The play ends with Zed Key getting a layup right at the rim that that gives them the win. But they, the play that they drew up was get the ball into Malachi and he'll make the right decision, whether he shoots, whether he drives, whether he dishes. And so and we've had a chance to talk to him about this, but he got the ball and he had read the situation. He knew they might mess up the screen. He knew to look for Zed down low. He saw what was happening and he got the ball to him. They made the game-winning play. And I asked Chris Holtman about that after the game. I said, can you take me through that decision? Because it sounds like what you're saying is with the game on the line, you said we have to get the ball in Malachi's hands. And that's surprising because this is his first college game. And he said, yeah, like that's, that's kind of who he is. He's just a very calm and collected guy. He's going to make mistakes. We've seen him make mistakes. Um, And I think, I just think there's a lot there um, in his demeanor and his, his attitude to where I think he's, he's going to be an impact player for this team. Uh, Chris Holman has talked a lot about this team will not look like what it looks like now by the time they get to January, because they really believe that Malachi and Michi are going to grow through some mistakes here in the early going. And that's going to serve them really well. Once they get into the meat of the big 10, 
it's made for some bumps. It's made for some interesting games. I mean, Akron at home shouldn't be a one point win. Um, but I, I think they're learning on the fly. And I think what we're learning about Malachi is I think he's a dude that they're really going to count on for big minutes as this season goes on. Well, I'm no offense. I hope the Buckeyes have a couple more bumps in the road, at least for the next <laughs> next game on the schedule. And then after that, they could run the entire slate for all that I care. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's dive into this matchup a little bit, right? So Seton Hall has got a lot of depth in their first three games as well. Is there one player that Chris Holtzman should zone in on and try to slow down from what you've seen from the Pirates? Oof. Um, I think, honestly, that's a tough one because I feel like one of the things that, that was most interesting to me coming out of Ohio State's loss to Xavier was just a collective um, belief that Ohio State did not play with enough toughness. And they let Xavier dictate um, the pace and let Xavier, like they talked about like letting guys like go through them and drive through them and go through their chest. Like they did not make Xavier feel them. And when I look at what Seton Hall, the way that Seton Hall played at Michigan, I feel like Ohio State's going to be facing a very similar type of challenge. And so I don't know if it's as much about like one specific person that they're probably more, I mean, I'm sure they're, they have a scouting report. They have somebody at the top of that list. I think right now they're probably more worried about how do we match the physicality and the intensity and the size and the athleticism and the grit that that Seton Hall seems to play with. I think that's probably more of what they're concerned about than like a specific player maybe at this moment. But, um, I'm really, in, I'm just really interested to see how Ohio State can, if they can match that, because Xavier took it to him, and I feel like Seton Hall is equipped to do the same. Besides that, give me two more keys to Ohio State victory on Monday. Um, I think Ohio State needs to get Justin Arms a couple, a couple of shots. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a true senior, fourth year guy. He's a sharpshooter. Um, he's just not he's playing a lot, but he's not giving them a lot offensively and he's an okay defender, but I feel like for this team to do well, especially with justice suing out, I feel like they need him to knock down a couple of shots from the perimeter. And uh, he, he will go through stretches where he just disappears. I feel like they need him to do a better job of, of hunting his shot and, and, and knocking down a couple. We've already talked, touched on the backcourt a lot. So I don't know if I need to, to rehash any of that. Um, But I I think that the other key is just got to be, play with some more bite like like especially on that defensive end Xavier did such a good job of getting to the rim and using its length and its athleticism this is the first time that Ohio State's played somebody of like that type of talent that type of size and Ohio State I think they were eight of I remember the number now they were bad on layups. I want to say like eight for 23 or something like that on layups against Seton Hall or excuse me, <laughs> against Xavier. And that was because Xavier's length bothered them at the rim. Ohio state needs to be able to handle that against a, a team like the pirates um, and, and convert at a much higher rate on easy shots near the rim. If they want to find a way to win. Okay, Adam, we can't thank you enough for joining us, but now we're going to put you on the spot. What happens Monday night? Are the fans in Columbus happy or is South Orange dancing? I'm bad with predictions, really bad with predictions. Um, I I'm at this moment, I am in wait and see mode with Ohio state. I think Ohio state has the talent to win this game. I don't know if the talent knows how to win this game yet. And I don't know that the issues that we've seen through four games and that we're you know, that cost them in that Xavier loss. I don't know that they fixed those overnight. So I think that unless someone 
takes a major step forward, I think this is a, likely a Seton Hall win. I just feel like the way Seton Hall played at Michigan, um, I think that's going to be tough for Ohio State to match at this point of the season. But I, I will qualify that by saying I really thought that Michi Johnson took a big step for Ohio State, even though I, he was about 50% from the floor. He had three assists and three turnovers. One of them was late. Um, he didn't play the greatest game, but I saw some extra like confidence in him that like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to understand this level a little bit. And I feel like if that can carry over to this next game and he can build on that, then Ohio State becomes a lot more formidable. And I think then that's how Ohio State finds a way to win. I like it. Little little straddling that fence. You and Mike would get along swimmingly. So Adam I love it, Adam. I love it. Adam, love thanks it. again for joining us. Uh enjoy the trip down to Florida and we wish you nothing but the best for the rest of the season. Oh, this is great. This is such a fun interview. I appreciate you guys for having me. And uh yeah, look good luck to Seton Hall this season. I I, I like what I've seen so far and I really really am excited to watch this game on Monday. Adam Jardy, everybody. Okay, Mike, like we said, we have Ohio State first, and then we're going to play either Florida or California. Now, you know, Florida last year went 15 and 10, 9 and 7 in the SEC, good for fifth. They made it to the NCAA tournament before losing to Oral Roberts in the second round. They're currently ranked 24th with wins so far this season against a 20th ranked Florida State. Milwaukee, and one of my favorites, Elon. They're led by Colin Castleton, a senior forward who was all SEC last year. He's averaging about 17 and 10 and 13 big blocks so far this season. But they also got three other guys that are also averaging in double figures right now. They got Anthony, I'm going to butcher these names, Deruji, uh, Myron Jones, Tyree, it looks like Appleby, if I'm going to read this correctly, right? So that's four guys averaging double figures. But then I'm looking at the minutes that they played so far, and I know it's only three games. They really don't go any deeper than six guys. Of those six guys, they all play 20 minutes or more, and the next closest guy only plays eight. Here's the interesting thing. Of those six guys, they're all seniors. That, that This could be a tough Florida team. I don't know much about their guys. I don't know much about Colin Castleton other than he transferred from Michigan before coming to Florida last year. Yeah. All SEC player, but I don't know much about this team. Right. But you know, they, they, they are an NCAA tournament team last year. They're back again. They're playing well. They got senior leadership. I would expect them to be a tough out. Well, the final team in the tournament is Cal and what has happened to the once mighty bears they're one and two this season after finishing nine and 20 last season, three and 17 in the Pac 12, Mike. And this is not something new. The previous season, 14 and 18. Prior to that, eight and 23 and eight and 24. A four year total of 39 and 85. It is just pathetic what has happened to the Cal Bears. Are you telling me Jason Kidd is not walking through those doors? Oh, nobody's walking through those doors these days, Mike. This year, they lost to UC San Diego by 13 at home. They also lost to UNLV. They beat USD. And as of this recording, they were down at half to Southern Utah. 
Mike. Oh, no, no, Tommy. At this very moment, they are now in overtime, winning 61-60 with 31 seconds to play. A barn burner at the Fort Myers tip-off campus game. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm not going to do this, Tom. Ouch, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not breaking down this team. We have to avoid playing this game. This would be a meaningless win on our resume. Only bad can come of having to play this game. And you know that. I don't want to hear you play the team in front of you. A win's a win. This this doesn't help the team. This is not a resume. Built. This is not a good one and one if they walk away from the Fort Myers Classic with a win against Cal under their belt. I'm sorry. Mike, let me ask you. You're the math guy. You can tell me, you can tell me this. I've, I've been wondering this for a long time. So help me out here. Which is better? One and one or oh and two. You could tell right now, one and one I, or oh and I, two. I, I'm I'm telling you, I want one and one with a quality win against Ohio State. And I can accept, I could accept a top twenty-five ranked loss against Florida on my resume. It is not the same comparable one and one as if we lost to Ohio State and then we beat Cal. I'm not comparing I, I'm one not and one to oh and two. Compare, Mike. I'm not asking you to compare. I'm just asking you what is better. I'm asking I understand to kind of pl- that a one-and-one one with a win against California makes it somewhat of a wasted trip, but it's still better than 0-2, Mike. It, it better not be 0-2. That would be a resume-crushing loss if they if they lose to Cal. It would take away some of the credibility that you built up by beating Michigan if they lose to Ohio State and they get matched up against Cal and they lose that game. So let's just do this. Let's well, go into now, the, your predictions well, for, the, for the classic. Now Come that on. we've got the math out of the way, I know I promised there'd be no math. What? Do you, how do you see the Fort Myers classic breaking? It's interesting, right? Because, I mean, after I watched this game the other night, Xavier playing Ohio State, Ohio State, they don't look like world beaters. And, I mean, Ohio State also barely won their first game out of the shoot. They had to have a, a game-winning bucket by Zeg Key at the buzzer to knock off Akron? I mean, I'm sorry, but I mean, so far, they're still trying to find themselves. You know, uh, EJ Liddell is one heck of a player, and Zeg Key is a big boy in the post. So they got a front line that's going to give the Pirates all they can handle. So, I mean, Liddell was just finding every way possible to put Ohio State on his back in that Xavier game and keep them in it down the stretch. But I hate to say it, if they find a way to slow down Liddell, make him work for his buckets, just like they did against Dickinson, I can't see how the Pirates don't come out on top here. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost, but just the eye test so far, the Pirates look like the better team. So, yeah, I'm going to give them the win over Ohio State. What about you? Mike, I'll tell you this. Watching Ohio State lose to Xavier was the worst thing I thought we could have seen because it's going to make Ohio State a desperate team. However, after what I saw on Tuesday night and how the Pirates played, I don't care who's in front of them. Mikey, I'm telling you this right now. The Pirates are coming home winning the Fort Myers Classic. They're going to put Ohio State down, and then they're going to roll over Florida. Wow. Wow. And, and, And as I say this, Southern Utah has pulled ahead of the Golden Bears, 63-61 with 25 seconds to play, folks. I, I don't know. It, it's They're two tough games, right? You know what I mean? We're still playing power six conference schools here. I, I could see it being a one-on-one, and, one, and, and there's no shame in that. If I would have told you to start the season, 
the Pirates are going to roll through at Michigan, number four in the country, and essentially beat two top 25 or you know top 35 Ken Palm net-ranked opponents and run the table in their early non-conference schedule. You'd think nuts, right? I would have told and, you you were nuts two weeks ago. So what do you always tell me? Don't be a prisoner of the moment. I like what this team showed on Tuesday. I like that the defense traveled, and defense always travels, and I like all the interchangeable parts. I like the depth on this team. There's so much to be excited about, but I you got people putting them in the top five, you know, taking this tournament and putting it in the bag just like you did. I believe it can happen, but just slow it down. I'd be very happy with a one-in-one performance, Ohio State and Florida as the two opponents. You're, you're conflating the questions, Mike. I'm not asking what I'd be happy with. I'm. Uh, you're asking me what I think's going to happen, and I'm. I'm hedging. Right I'm hedging now, as I. I'm, I'm hedging as hedging. I always do. I'm going out on that limb. I don't think either Ohio State or Florida are as good as Michigan. I think Michigan's going to have a nice season. They're going to rebound well, and I'm telling you this right now. Seton Hall takes the Fort Myers Classic. I think you know. Here's here's my out in the limb prediction. I think that Florida game's gonna be nip and tuck. It's gonna go down to the wire. It might even go to the overtime, just like Southern Utah and Cal are heading to overtime right now, baby. 63-63. The Bears are in trouble, Tommy. The Bears are in trouble. Uh, it, it, it should be fun, right? I mean, this early season tournament, Thanksgiving time, lots of fun. Uh, I'm actually gonna be back on the East Coast to kind of take in the game with some of uh, my old Seton Hall brethren. So it should uh, should have that camaraderie. It's not just me sitting around texting you from my garage this time. How about that? Well, Mike, I, I hope you're having a nice cold one while you're watching a game with your friends. And you know me, I'm going to be sitting back on my couch, Mike, and I'm going to be yelling, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at El Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Deziri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank you.